Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, our text this morning demonstrates to us what an awesome God that we serve. And this is what the church needs to understand. We not only need just simply knowledge about God, the scriptures give us that, but we need more than that as believers. We need to grow in in an intimate understanding of the God that we worship. We need to grow in the knowledge of the truth to the depth of understanding God. And so the purpose then of going to the Scriptures is to understand our Lord in a greater measure. This was the the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and also in Philippians when he prayed that they would have a deeper understanding and growing in the knowledge of the truth, that they would know God. Now as believers, they already knew God, but... He uses the Greek term epignosis, which means that it's a greater, abiding, more intimate understanding of the God that they worship, of knowing God intimately in this way, through the teaching of Scripture. It's the greatest need for the church today is to know, to recognize how awesome that our God truly is. I think there has been much failure of that, Uh, Because we are man-centered often, and we want to have those things that are pleasing to us and that comfort us and that give us pleasure. We like things of personal preference, and so we strive towards that rather than the glory of God. There is that contention that goes on in the life of the church. But the greatest thing for us to understand is the God that we worship. To know Him in that intimate way, like a marriage. When the marriage happens, consummated, it grows. It continues to grow. The knowledge of one another grows deeper and deeper. Not just surfacy, but you become more acquainted with that individual, with their character, their likes, their dislikes. You begin to understand and to know things that other people don't know because the relationship is growing. It's growing in depth. So it is with our knowledge of God. This knowledge that we have of God and of the things of God needs to grow in a deeper measure. I think you could probably say today in the landscape of congregations in the United States, the knowledge of God is probably 3,000 miles wide and it's about an inch deep. People like the light and the fluffy, the surfacey things. But how many truly plumb down into the depths of the things of God? Because as Paul then declares, and as you see the example given in Romans chapter 11, uh, the deeper that you go in theology, the higher you come up in doxology and praise to God. That's what we need as believers. Now, I don't often do this, but uh, it's appropriate this morning I'm going to read a a longer chapter of Scripture, and I have two quotes that I want to bring. As I said, it's not common for me to do that, but uh, Isaiah sets forth in a clear fashion, and it ought to leave your mouth open of the God that has redeemed us, the God who is intimate with us. So much so that we are vines and He is the branch, that means we are engrafted into Him, and we dwell in Him and He dwells in us. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And now the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. He is the vine, we are the branches. And every branch in me, Jesus says, bears good fruit. What an intimacy that that is. Speaking about knowing God and knowing the vine in whom we dwell and the vine knowing us in an infinite measure. And yet he still loves us. That's an awesome thing. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Listen. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who is his counselor has taught him? With him, uh, with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are as counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All the nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image and the goldsmith overlays it, overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall uh, their stock take root in the earth. And when he also will blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? The Holy One, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his power and the strength of his power, not one is missing." Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, in this, in a way uh, that my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like, up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Beloved, have you not heard? This is the God that we worship. It's an awesome God. Awesome is a term reserved for our God. Not for an ice cream that you have. Not for a steak dinner, but for the God that we worship, because none can be compared to Him. To whom will you liken Him? What will you lay aside of the true and living God in comparison to Him? 
The world as we know it and as we look out in the vast universe, it's daunting to us. It's like the scales and the dust that are on the balance to the Lord. It's like a drop in a bucket where you take one drop and you put it in a five-gallon pail. You can't even see the drop on the bottom of the bucket. They are counted as nothing to the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God. The God who is all-powerful. The God who upholds all things with the word of His power. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that inspires awe in the hearts of His people. Now, two quotes. One is a short one, one is a longer one. A.W. Pink is this first quote. God knows everything. Everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures of the past, the present, and the future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs. He never changes. He never overlooks anything. Now this one by A.W. Tozer. This one, I, I have to say... I had to read it three or four times because it was, it was, it was a wondrous quote. Uh, I, I, was, I was relishing in this quote. A.W. Tozer writes, God has never learned from anyone. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity he would be imperfect and less, and less than himself. To think of a God <clears throat> who must sit at the feet of a teacher, even though that teacher be an archangel or a seraph, is to think of someone other than the Most High God, maker of heaven and earth. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all... Pro, pro, why can't I say that? Pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth... Motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, <clears throat> He knows nothing better than anything other, any other thing. He knows them all alike. He knows all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions except when drawing men out for their own good. That is a tremendous quote from A.W. Tozer about the God that we worship. He has derived all of that from the teaching of God's Word. And I say, beloved, that's what we see here in Psalm 139. <clears throat> David penned Psalm 139 for the comfort of of the people of God. You'll notice towards the end of 139, he says, Lord, that you would slay the wicked 
those enemies that come against you, and they demonstrate they come against the Lord by coming against His people. And David had a hatred for them because they were the enemies of God outside of the nation Israel. All those outside of the nation Israel were reckoned as enemies of God, were in darkness, and were worshiping pagan deities. They were enemies of God and enemies of the people of Israel. David then brings a comfort to the people of God to know that our God is omniscient. That our God is omnipresent. That our God is the omnipotent God. He has all power. He has all wisdom and all knowledge. And He is everywhere present. Everything is immediately in the presence of the God in whom we have to do. Nothing is hidden from His sight. This is the omniscient God. He has ordained all things to come to pass in heaven and on earth. And He's done them in such a way that men are not treated as stocks and blocks. But there are secondary means by which the Lord uses to bring a pass His perfect will. He uses men. He uses the devil. He uses the demons. He uses the created uh, the things in the creation. He uses the created the animal, the inanimate objects he uses. He used Balaam's ass to give a proclamation to the prophet. God uses things. He used a star to direct the wise men to where Christ was born. God uses all things to bring to pass His good, perfect, and acceptable will that bring Him glory, honor, and praise, and edify and build up His church. Knowing these truths, beloved, cultivating the truth of God's Word in your mind will give you a great courage living in this fallen, sin-cursed world where everything is against the believer, the world, the flesh, and the devil, yet that God is for us, nothing can stand against us. It's even as the Lord had called His church to go out into the world preaching the gospel. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, cannot stand against the church. The church goes out proclaiming the gospel and the gospel knocks down the gates of hell. God uses the evangelism of His people to bring in sinners, those elect from the foundation of the world, to bring them in, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them with the gospel to come in. God uses that secondary means. Our God is wondrous. When you think about the providential hand of God guiding, directing, governing everything that happens in this world to the end in which He has predestined that has always been in His mind. Now these are things that how far and how deep can you go? The Word of God revealed to us is the mind of God. The mind of God never changes, never has new knowledge or information. It is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The mind of God is eternal. So what is revealed to us in His Word are eternal truths. There could be no other plan but what God has revealed to us in His Word as His mind being eternal. He knows of no other plan. Do you understand? That's hard. We want to think that well, God knows all contingencies and He goes through the Rolodex and looks at all the plans and is like, well, this is the best. 
I've heard that often. God has chosen the best plan, which assumes that God has looked at all these other different ways, and He didn't know which one until He got to it. That's the one. That cannot be, beloved. That's an impossibility to the mind of an eternal God that is infinite and His knowledge is without unsearchable. You can't search the depths of the knowledge of God. God knows everything eternally. He knows everything infinitely. He knows everything intuitively. He knows everything exhaustively. What a God that we worship. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It, it inspires worship. This is what Paul does. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His ways and His judgments past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? Or who has first given to Him that it might be repaid to Him again? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to God be the glory. It's the doxology that Paul breaks into because of the depth of the theology. It inspires then that He comes up high with praise to God. This is the God that we worship. God has done the things that He has done for His glory and the good of His people. Boggle the mind. I I just simply need to speak about Joseph and all the things that Joseph went through. All of that to bring about as it is as we read in Acts chapter 7. 75 people alive from the land of Palestine because of the drought that God raised Joseph up to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And all the dreams that Joseph had came to pass when his brothers came and knelt down before him and the sun, moon, and the stars also knelt before him as the governor of all Egypt. God brought that to pass. And men chose exactly what they wanted. They did exactly what they wanted. And yet God had predestined everything that would come to pass. And He's done it in such a way that makes us wonder. It makes us be a people that are so confused in our mind about the wonder and the glory of God orchestrating all of these things that you can just simply keep your mouth shut and put your hand over it so you don't open your mouth. Because our God is just wondrous. What you find here in Psalm 139. Notice, and these again are inspired as well, the titles. This is for the chief musician. Now, the chief musician we read of in 1 Chronicles 6 was Heman the Kohathite. He had an assistant, which is Asaph, who wrote some of the Psalms as well. But David wrote this Psalm and gave it to Heman who was the chief musician singer within the temple worship, to put it to music so that it might be sung by the people of God. Because, beloved, you know there is a great influence in our lives and our souls through music. Music, for some reason, seems to stick down into the soul. You know what I mean. You know when old songs come up on the radio that you haven't heard maybe in 10, 15 years, and you begin singing them word for word. Why is that? It seems for some reason that music really sticks down into the soul for us as people. So David had him put it to music, and it's a psalm of David. And he begins, O Lord. Just think about the first word, O Lord, Jehovah. This is God who is the self-existent one. Theological terms, we call that the aseity of God. 
God is self-existent. He needs nothing outside of himself. Read in Psalm 50, the Lord says, If I was hungry, I certainly wouldn't tell you. What are you going to do about it? He told David, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? You see, David misunderstood. God was building David into a house. This is the Jehovah God that we worship. The eternal God, the self-existent God. The one who has always been. That boggles the mind. I know if you kids, you begin thinking about that. How is it that God is from everlasting to everlasting? How is it that God is eternal? That he doesn't have a beginning? That he is what the scriptures call the ancient of days? He has no beginning and he has no end. He doesn't grow in years. He doesn't get older. He doesn't get younger. He doesn't have dementia. He doesn't have moments where he lapses in understanding. God's knowledge is unsearchable. If you gathered up all the church and all the people of, that have ever been and gathered them all together, we still could not plumb the depths of the knowledge of God. How much is there to know? As a matter of fact, God's knowing makes it so. We are simply understanding and knowing the things that God has already declared. Man is not inventing, as it were, anything. He is discovering things that God has already put into this world. This is the eternal God that we worship. God doesn't have a plan B. He didn't begin one way and then made a shift because it didn't go the way that he had anticipated It's what we call dispensational teaching. That Christ came for the Jews, the Jews rejected him, so he got a parenthesis, he went for the church, he'll come back and deal with the Jews later. God doesn't have a plan B. Who can thwart his will? Who can change his mind? Who can change the direction of the will of our God? Who can hinder him from bringing to pass all that he has declared? None. There are none. You know, the, the earth sits and it, it begins to want to throw off the Lord and His Christ. And the Lord sits in heaven and He laughs. There's a laughing at the people gathering together and conspiring to say, let's throw off the, the, His King. We don't want Him to be King over us. And the Lord laughs. You people. David says, you have searched me. Now, There is no setting, no context given for this psalm. Don't know exactly what David was going through. Only the imprecatory towards the end where he's calling upon the Lord to destroy the enemies of Israel. God's enemies. But, as I said, no context, no setting for this. This applies to you and I in principle even as David wrote it, applying it to himself and to the people of Israel at his time. You have searched me. The searching of God. Think about when you go through an x-ray or an MRI and how that thing begins searching things within you. 
looking for lumps, looking for dark shades, looking for abnormalities within your body. The Lord doesn't need an MRI. The Lord knows us instantly. The Lord knows us intuitively. The Lord knows us from all eternity. As a matter of fact, saying it this way, there never was a time that God did not know us. David is saying that the Lord, you have searched me. This is an intimate search. This is a search of depth and thoroughness. God knows every aspect and every fiber of your being. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows the things that nobody else knows about you because you haven't revealed them and you've kept them in that storage place within your soul. But God knows them. God's known them from all eternity. Before you even came forth from the womb, God has known every thought that you would think and every word you would speak and every action you would commit. I mean, what can you say? This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. God has known us. He has known me, David says. This knowing, and and Scripture speaks of knowing in different ways. So understanding the context, it can be very vague in uh, its understanding, uh, just of the the Hebrew term. But in this context, it refers to an intimate knowledge. God knew David intimately. Now, I know, I know all of you, but I don't know all of you intimately. I know one of you in here more than all of you in here. And there are some of you that I know better than others of you. But I don't know you exhaustively, and I don't even know my wife exhaustively. There are things about her that I do not know. There are things about you that I do not know. There are things about me that you do not know. But that can't be said of God. God knows intimately all of us at the same time, simultaneously, in an infinite, eternal way. He has searched us and He knows us intimately. And what boggles my mind is that He still loves me. Searching and knowing he knows me better than I know myself. And I don't even think it's proper to say it that way. But I don't know any other way to say it. There are things about me that I don't even recognize and realize. And we'll say things like, why did I do that? That's why Paul says the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. That's the confusion that sin brings to the life. God doesn't have that confusion. He knows me in a way that I can't know myself. He knows me as the creator. I know me as the creature. Notice the the things that we take for granted. We don't even, oftentimes, we don't even give notice of that. God knows my sitting down. When I take the time to sit, God is acquainted with that. When I rise up, whether it's at this time or at that time, God knows when I rise, He is acquainted with that. He is with me always. He is always one who understands, knows, and is acquainted with all of the ways of His people. 
Now, beloved, let me ask you, when is the last time that you thought about how God knows you and that he is intimate with you and that you are a branch, he is the vine, and he dwells in you and you dwell in him? How often have you reflected upon that? You see, I would say that oftentimes for us, we don't grow as we ought as believers because we don't reflect upon those deep things of God. These are life-changing truths. All truth is transforming to the believer. Truth transforms the life. These are life-altering truths. These are humbling truths. To know the things that I know about myself and how sinful I truly am, how ignorant I truly am, how feeble and frail and stupid I truly am, and yet that God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, sustainer of all things, the everlasting God, is intimately acquainted with me, is that humbling or what? And yet we often go about our day nonchalantly, not thinking about it, often boastfully, pridefully in our living, because we are not thinking about the Almighty God who is intimately acquainted with us, who are less than worms. And yet David says, we are those that are image bearers of God. He knows when I sit, he knows when I rise, he understands my thought afar off. Far off, what does that mean? From far places, what does that have reference to? Through all eternity, God knows all of my thoughts. He is acquainted with all of my thinking. Beloved, the writer of the Hebrews says that the Word of God is sharp and powerful and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divine the joints and the marrow of the bone and the sinew, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. All things are open before the Lord. You see, it doesn't do any good if these things are, remain in my mind and we think that we're hiding them from people. And you may be hiding them from people, but you're not hiding it from the Lord. He knows what goes on in your mind. He knows your thoughts. He's known them from all eternity. So this is the God that we come to. This is the God who forgives. This is the God who beckons us to come to Him. This is God who says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Yes, I'm weary. Yes, I'm heavy laden. Come, Jesus says. I and I alone, emphatically, I will give you rest. And He does. He gives us comfort. He gives us confidence. He is the one who allays fear from the soul. He causes us to be courageous in a fallen world. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God with whom we worship. You comprehend my path and my lying down. I, I can truly say, I don't think I comprehend anything. Comprehending is encircling it. It's enveloping it. It's saying that outside of this, I don't have anything other to learn and to understand. I I can't say that about anything. I apprehend. God has made himself knowable. He has made his truth apprehendable. But comprehensively, God is incomprehensible. We cannot plumb the depths of our God. 
David says, you comprehend my path. He knows the path, the way that I take. God is intimately acquainted with the way in which we go and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. God knows, beloved. God knows your heart. Come to Him. Confess your sins to Him. Open up to Him. He already knows. You're hiding from no one. God knows the intimate thoughts of your heart. The secret things of your heart. God knows. And He loves you. He loves us as His people. He called us in union and communion and fellowship with Himself. He has washed us and cleansed us. He has robed us with the perfections of Jesus Christ. Knowing all about me. And yet He loves me and He covers me in the righteous robes of Christ. And He says, come. Come into my presence. Come walk with me in the cool of the garden. Come worship me. Come let us reason together. Come, says the ultimate, infinite, eternal God of the universe. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, you know it all together. What can you say about this text? The omniscient God is acquainted with all of my thoughts, all of my ways, all of my words. He is acquainted with me intimately in ways that I don't even understand myself. And yet He loves me and sometimes I hate myself. And God loves me with an infinite love, with an eternal love, with an exhaustive love, with the same love with which He loves His Son. What a God we worship. And now you know when I say, don't use the word awesome for trite things. That word should be reserved for God and God alone. Our God is awesome. This, beloved, is awesome. This is wondrous. This is mind-boggling. I can, I can apprehend it, but I can't comprehend it. It's way too high and exhaustive for me. But it reveals the character of our God. This is the God with whom we have to do. The God who loves us. The God who has redeemed us. The God who has put our sins on Christ and His righteousness on us. He is the God who forgives us. He is the God of mercy. The God of grace. He is the God of justice. But our justice was satisfied. The sins punished in Christ. God is satisfied with that punishment of our sins in Christ forever. And now we come. We come, we come freely. We come joyfully to worship the God that knows every intimate aspect of my being, of my fiber. And He accepts our worship. And He delights in our worship. And He says, come behold the majesty of the Lord. And He speaks to us. And He calls us. And He comforts us. And it goes on continually as the church of all ages. God's redeemed people. Beloved, if we would focus upon these truths of Scripture, it would deepen, it would be an answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. We would know God in a deeper way. When you sin and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hide from God, where are you going to go? David already mentions that. Doesn't matter where you run, God's already there. He is the omnipresent God who encompasses all things. Beloved, let this text, and as we further go through this text, let this humble you. Soak it in. 
Go home and meditate on those four verses. Mull over those verses. Roll it around in your mind again and again. Let it saturate your being. This is the God that we worship. This is the only true and living God. There is no other God. That's why they said, what are you going to compare God to? What can you compare to this? It's mind-boggling and humbling and comforting all at the same time. All rolled up like a tortilla, isn't it? You've got all those elements within. This is the God that we worship. Let that saturate into your soul. And then come, come worship, come sing to the God who loves you. Amen. Shall we pray?